This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. Quite a bit going on with sports and, uh, of course, uh, with the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs going on. Uh, you got baseball in the mix, uh, Premier League and Champions League uh, winding down. It's so, uh, uh, quite a few topics to talk about. But first, I want to talk about someone who wanted a bunch of attention on himself. And sometimes when you ask for something, you better be aware of when it doesn't go the way you plan that you're going to take some heat for it. So the guy I'm talking about is Damian Lillard of the Portland Trail Blazers. Now, of course, them uh, being up in the Northwest, no one really pays that much attention to Portland. All things considered, and not exactly a hot spot in terms of a media coverage standpoint. So... I get it from Lillard's perspective that he's trying to promote himself, uh, given that uh, he's uh, been an NBA All-Star for a number of years now. But he has he had fallen off the radar in terms of All-Star voting. He complained about uh, getting on the NBA All-Star team and uh, saying that he absolutely deserved to be on the team this year. But he went a step further before the playoffs even began. Instead of talking about the playoffs themselves, he started talking about being uh, how he should be an NBA all-first team player. Which, again, not even Steph Curry gets to be NBA <laughs> uh, all-star first team at, at the position because James Harden and Russell Westbrook are there. So even Steph doesn't get NBA uh, first team honors. So for Lillard to go to this level, I mean... If you're going to talk that big of a game, you got to back it up come postseason time. And lo and behold, we've got a first-round series between Portland and New Orleans without Boogie Cousins. So basically, you've got Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo, and Drew Holiday. The three players that you actually have to account for on uh, the Pelicans because they really don't have much else in terms of roster depth on that actual team. The core strength of the Blazers is supposed to be the backcourt of Lillard and C.J. McCollum, two offensive players uh, in the backcourt that should be able to outscore their competition if uh, if it comes down to that uh, in a backcourt matchup. But lo and behold, we're approaching game four of the first round series this year, and Portland's already on the verge of going home uh, and packing their vacation uh, bags. And, in fact, I actually think the suitcases are already packed for vacation uh, because they're on the road. 
They've they've long since given up home court advantage. Got drummed out of the building uh, uh, the the other night uh, to go down 0-3. And you got the pretty much the finale of the game. Unless uh, New Orleans uh, tanks this game, Portland's going to get swept. And it's going to get swept because of the simple fact of the matter is, for all the talk Damian Lillard did about how much he's underappreciated by the NBA, he's been outplayed by playoff Rondo. Rajon Rondo in the playoffs is an absolute beast. The reason why Rondo's a beast, and you know this is a note for Russell Westbrook, is that in the playoffs, you actually have to control the pace of your opponent. Rondo, even though he doesn't have much of a jump shot, he's hit a couple of shots in the uh, postseason, but he's... Still knows his limitations. He's not a jump shooter. He, but he can push the pace. And what he's been able to do is get so many easy transition buckets off of the Blazers, who, for whatever reason, have forgotten how to play any sense of transition defense. So the Pelicans have gotten anything they've wanted at the hoop the entire series just by running at the Blazers. And even when it comes down to a half-court game, Portland looks utterly helpless because of the fact that whenever it comes to a pick-and-roll situation, the switching is completely off for the Blazers. There's no communication. There's a constant breakdowns, so they can eat, they can get to the rack basically every single time that they're pick-and-roll, uh, running the pick-and-roll, which should never happen, it, especially in a playoff uh, format. It, you know, you research these things. You talk about this. So this is, this is more of a... Indictment on the lack of preparedness for the Blazers, even though they're a three seed in the Western Conference, no less. How uh, how they were unprepared for the playoffs because you knew what the Pelicans were going to do. They got three guys and they're going to run pick and roll. They don't really have much else in terms of an offense to run. This is a pretty simple team to game plan for. So. Uh, even beyond this first-round series, I don't see the Pelicans going anywhere because, again, this is a very straightforward team to guard. It's just that the Blazers are completely ill-equipped to actually do anything about it, it seems, because through three games this series, the Pelicans have run <laughs> essentially the same six plays against them, and it's <laughs> they got no answer for it. So if, uh, if you're playing the DFS lineups today, uh, again, you're going to be rolling with uh, Pelicans players because until Portland actually does something uh, on the defensive end to change up this series, this is going to end in a sweep. So I I, I would, again, uh, for the DFS lineups uh, being played today, uh, you know, roll with uh, the Pelicans because uh, as expensive as Anthony Davis is, he's worth every penny because Portland has no answer for him. Because they can't guard the pick and roll, and if you can't guard the pick and roll against an athletic big man like Davis, it, it's a it's a it's a wrap basically. All right, now that I've given the the Blazers their five minutes of attention, that pretty much all that they warrant. Now let's uh, get into what happened last night. So you had the Pacers come back from a seventeen point deficit at the half to beat the Cavs. Now, I felt that this game was going to determine whether this was going to be a six-game series or a seven-game series. I still have the Cavs winning this series just because LeBron still 
can go into beast mode and just take the remaining uh, games of this series away from the Pacers. I just think that his gas tank won't allow him to do it the entire way through, so he won't be able to sweep the remaining games. But the fact that the Pacers were able to get this uh, third game uh, to make it to one is a big development because at least it shows enough uh, uh, cracks in the armor with the Cavs that some of these Eastern Conference teams have got to be able to step up and take advantage of it. Uh, whether it is, uh, whether it's uh, the Raptors, the Celtics, uh, maybe even the Sixers, uh, if they if they get uh, make it uh, make it through to the end, I still feel as though this is just coming down to a point where, you know, at a certain point you can see the issues with the cast. I again, I didn't expect them to be a team that could beat a Western Conference team unless it was Houston. Uh, just going in way too overconfident. I think the Warriors would actually treat them with uh, a healthy respect and just go out of their way to embarrass them, but uh, still at the same time acknowledging that they don't want the series to extend any further than they uh, than it has any right to. But the fact that uh, the Cavs are struggling this much and getting so little in terms of bench production is alarming. So even with the trades that were happening, and they, the trades needed to happen. Don't get me wrong, but even with the trades that happened, it still has not gelled in the way that Kobe Altman uh, would have uh, liked uh, midseason when he decided to pull the eject button on Isaiah Thomas uh, and that failed experiment. Because you know, outside of a couple of flashes here and there. Uh, George Hill really has not uh, 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 been up to the task. I know he got nicked up a bit, but still not really there. Clarkson's uh, been inconsistent, uh, but he's still young. And Nance, uh, you know, I think Tyron Lue is still conflicted as to uh, how much playing time uh, Tristan Thompson should get, which isn't much given what he's actually put out on the court. But at the same time, I... Nance hasn't really distinguished himself either. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those situations where now you're actually seeing J.R. Smith being relied upon because uh, the lack of veteran leadership on this team actually requires J.R. Smith to be responsible for once. I know that's a very scary thought, J.R. Smith being responsible. But be that as it may, that's actually what the situation the Cavs find themselves in because Kevin loves her. Uh, That thumb is still bothering him. Uh, he, he heard it again and, you know, he still wasn't quite the same because even when he was going for rebounds, he was still kind of, uh, doing the one hand man, uh, uh, impression, uh, statue board. So, uh, you know, not really a good look. I'm not sure how much you know, love is actually going to be able to give them the rest of the series. Uh, if the thumb is still in a bad spot and he doesn't want to injure it any further. So again, Cavs should still pull through this series. But I I don't think it's uh, it's uh, exactly what people think it's going to be. I think the Cavs are going to have to go to seven games now to get this thing done, and that's not uh, that's not a good thing considering the fact that LeBron again it's not a spring chicken. He can he can easily do it. It's just a matter of uh, how much energy he's going to expend uh, uh, throughout the course of the playoffs uh, to uh, to get to the, to an NBA Finals. That's really going to be the key for the Cavs. 
in the interaction last night, both the Wizards and the Bucks showed some backbone and took uh, actually won their home games uh, in convincing fashion. Uh, I'm still not convinced uh, by anything the Wizards or the Bucks have done this postseason, despite the fact that they had convincing wins last night. I, I think that's what you're what you should be able to do at home when you're down 0-2 is just to come back with some fire and uh, do a pushback. And, you know, both Boston and Toronto really didn't look like they were hungry enough to take game three. And so we'll see uh, them uh, uh, step up uh, the uh, uh, step up uh, the, uh, the level of competition uh, just to uh, actually come back with a 3-1 advantage uh, to close it out in game five. So in terms of the uh, Saturday slate, you know, I talked about the Blazers-Pelicans. The early game is going to be uh, Sixers-Heat. Very interesting uh, one here because, uh, you know, Philly took game three uh, on the road, and we still have not seen Hassan Whiteside beat any impact on this series. Uh, Whiteside is a non-factor for the Heat. He's not playing a lot. And even when he's on the court, he can't guard the three-point line. And what you're seeing is Ben Simmons uh, too big for anyone to match up with. You know, it's actually, it's one of the biggest jokes is the fact that Ben Simmons is still uh, being listed as a uh, power forward on the DFS websites. I mean, he's a he's a he's a point guard, but he, it's just it's a literal equivalent of Frankenstein's monster with Ben Simmons because he's too big for any point guard. But he's just as fast, if not faster, than most uh, uh, guards, uh, too. So, obviously, if you put a forward on him, he's going to blow right past him. So, it's absolutely frustrating. Uh, I, I, I can see all these teams just getting very, very tired of it. And Miami's running into those exact same limitations. Where I'm not sure how Eric Spolstra's going to be able to counteract this. Because it's been three games now. And he hasn't been able to find the formula yet. And Spolster's a bright guy. Uh, so I just don't think he has the personnel to win this series. I think he can stretch it out and and let the uh, Sixers' inexperience uh, kind of hinder him a bit. But if this comes into a run-and-gun situation like it did in Game 3, Miami's going to lose every time. Miami's got to figure out a way of slowing down the pace and forcing the Sixers to have to execute uh, possession by possession and not give them the easy hoops because if they gave them easy hoops I mean those young legs they're, they're just going to blow right past the heat so uh, Dwayne Wade's got to figure out a way of somehow managing the pace of this game to suit his style of play uh, because they can't run with him uh, and Dragic is way too small uh, on that court based on the 76ers lineup of what they're doing they, they easily shoot over Dragic so it's just a situation where Miami doesn't really have the horses, but uh, you know I, I think they still uh, can find a way to pu- pull this one out. It's just that I actually have them as an underdog, even though they're home. Uh, it's so it's one of those situations where even uh, though uh, the Heat are at home, uh, I mean Vegas got them as a dog. I've got them as a dog. I mean it's just. It's a tough ask. It's a tough ask uh, for, for the Heat to fi- uh, find a way through. But, uh, you know, that's what a veteran club's got to do. you got to test these young bucks and 
uh, uh, see what works. But uh, I, I think that's the only way to uh, kind of go about it here. It's just to figure out a way of slowing it down, muck it up. Whiteside, you know, for all the talk he's done, he hasn't done anything against Embiid. Embiid's basically treated him like a rag doll. Uh, you know, you got to figure out a way to make it dirty against them. Not saying to actually make a dirty play, but yeah, at least got to make it physical enough for him to make him feel it and uh, make him work th- uh, and, ma- and make him work for his buckets. Uh, I think it's just coming a little bit too easily for Embiid as well. Uh, you know, considering the amount of time he's missed, I didn't think uh, Miami made him work for his uh, points at all. Uh, I-, I think he had way too easy of a run. So today, I, I look for them to actually try to step it up uh, on the post because if they don't, uh, I mean, this series is going to end in five. Uh, there's no way you can let Embiid uh, dominate interior because uh, uh, that just frees up more space for Simmons uh, because you can't commit as many guys into the middle if he can just dump it off to Embiid in the, in the, in the post and uh, just have him uh, dunk it on you. So uh, Miami's got to uh, figure out a way of uh, tightening it up a little bit on the defensive end. Next, we have the primetime game tonight, which is the uh, Rockets traveling to Minnesota for Game 3 of their series. Uh, You know, this is a must-win for the Wolves. Uh, You know, no one really expects the Wolves to do much in this series. Uh, This is just kind of a game where uh, Houston's expected to sweep. Uh, So, honestly, uh, for the Wolves... You got to figure out a way of getting Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, if you're going to steal a game, tonight's the night. You know, at least get the the crowd. The crowd's going to be pumping there just because Target Center hasn't had a playoff team in 15 years. So the crowd's going to be loud. Get Carl Anthony Towns the ball. I mean, I know Tibbs wants to focus on defense here. Uh, the, the issue is the fact that Minnesota just has not been a good defensive team this year. Uh, you know, they could say whatever they want, but Andrew Wiggins is just not a guy who's going to play a lot of defense. Towns can play a little bit of defense, but it's really the same situation as they had with Kevin Love. He's a, he's more of a rebounder. It's it's an, uh, a rebounder, and he's a crash sports guy. He's not really a blocks kind of guy, so the help side defense isn't there. And, you know, Jimmy Butler's going to ball. He's going to play two ways. That, that's just the way he is. Uh, it's it's uh, If anything, he's the reason why uh, they're going to have a shot in this game uh, is uh, how well Jimmy Butler can play. Uh, but, you know, unless James Harden has an off-shooting night, uh, they don't really have uh, the ball pressure needed to disrupt him. And uh, Chris, same deal with Chris Paul. Again, they're not going to be able to put the pressure on the outside uh, that's going to uh, screw up the Rockets' uh, offense. So uh, this is a this is a terrible matchup for the Wolves, but uh, I think they can at least use the crowd here uh, to their advantage and at least get a couple of easy buckets, make Houston work for it. You know, you might catch Houston on an off night, uh, but uh, all things considered, you know, the magic number is if you can keep Houston's three point shooting under thirty percent. You're gonna have a shot to win a, a game every night against this team. Uh, the problem is, is that the amount of threes that Houston shoots, it's keeping them under thirty percent. You got, you're gonna have to work uh, for it, and you're gonna have to, again, figure out a way of kind of slowing down the tempo. And that means you got to make buckets. So, it, it, in order to get your defensive uh, 
uh, set up because if Houston gets in transition, they're going to find a wide-open guy at the three-point line. That's just the way the offense is built with uh, D'Antoni. And for our nightcap, uh, it's uh, it's going to be the Jazz hosting the Thunder. You know, I'm very much curious about this one because of the fact that you've got a series tied uh, 1-1. And similar to the, the Cavs game last night, I'm not entirely sure who's going to win. I, I, I still think the Thunder uh, should win this one. I, I, I'd be... I'd be surprised if the uh, Jazz actually won this one, just because given the amount of talent the Thunder have, they got to be able to find a way through this series. the The problem is, is that the Thunder are not remotely close to playing well. Uh, you know, Carmelo Anthony is not hitting shots. Paul George is in a little bit of a mini funk where I think he's lost a little bit of confidence. And Russell Westbrook, you know, this is where chasing for stats during the regular season hurts you because I think Westbrook uh, being as selfish as he was during the regular season kind of pushed uh, uh, his uh, teammates uh, uh, to the fray and by his teammates I mean the, the true bench players on this team because they never really developed a core there so unless uh, those uh, three stars actually play well so you at least get two of the three playing well they're going to lose every game so that's that's not exactly a ringing endorsement. So uh, because when you're that uh, uh, when you're that limited as a team, uh, you know, chances are Russ has to be the one playing well every game uh, that they win. You know, that's just not it's just not a, a productive way of advancing in the playoffs. Like I said, I I still believe that. Uh, the Thunder get through and they move on, but you know, I could easily see a scenario where the Jazz take Game Three, and it falls under circumstances where either Melo takes some horrible shots, Russ takes some horrible shots. Paul George usually passes the ball up if he's a if he's in a tight spot, but between Melo and Westbrook, it would not shock me if either one of them took a horrible shot when they could have actually. Uh, made a pass to get a better-looking shot uh, that ends up costing them the game. Just because, again, when you've got too many guys operating as solo artists and you're not literally collaborating with each other, uh, that can happen. And I think that's just been the case with the Thunder all year. I I think they manage, they find a way to slog through this one, but I'm not remotely confident in them advancing any further past than uh, the first round. So, uh, should be interesting to watch. If OKC can iron out some of the issues, then I could maybe see the dark horse that people were envisioning at the start of these playoffs. But I just don't see it uh, in terms of uh, their team dynamic. I think they're uh, too limited. The issue for the Jazz, though, is that they can only go as far as Donovan Mitchell can take them. And at a certain point, as uh, as a rookie, he's gonna hit the rookie wall. Uh, you know, he he had certain spurts throughout the year where uh, he was losing his legs. But with a full playoff series with guys keying in on him, I think eventually it's going to take its toll in this series. So uh, I, I think that's what makes it harder for Utah to close it out in any kind of situation uh, versus the Thunder. Because the longer the series goes, the more it favors uh, the Thunder, I believe, just because Utah is uh, 
even more limited than uh, Oklahoma City. But, you know, I think Utah definitely has uh, uh, a team on the rise. I just don't think they, they have uh, the player development yet in their younger players outside of Mitchell uh, to get them through uh, bench-wise uh, in a playoff series like this or where they can get uh, worn down. So. That's it for uh, the perspective on the NBA games. I want to get into the NHL uh, quickly because uh, there's been quite a bit going on that I, I just did not get a chance to touch on, and I think it is important for the conversation because uh, I, I think some of these matchups that you're going to see now coming up in the NHL playoffs are going to have a big impact on how the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, unfold. Now, the Western Conference matchups... Uh, have gone a little bit out of sorts uh, compared to the East because we thought the Western Conference uh, uh, matchups were actually going to stretch out, and instead we got a, a sweep uh, by the uh, Vegas over uh, the Kings, and uh, Anaheim got swept by San Jose. Even though I thought San Jose was going to win, I, I thought that was going to be probably a six-game series. But uh, you know, regardless, uh, you know those two matchups. Uh, I, I think just because of how dominant they've looked uh, should be an interesting prelude because, meanwhile, uh, Colorado staved off elimination, surprisingly, against Nashville. And Nashville has not looked good, uh, to be frank, uh, in their uh, game so far. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, while I, I do give credit to Colorado for playing hard, I, I think at the end of the day, though, uh, Nashville should have been able to uh, uh, put this uh, series to bed. And now that uh, Nashville's going back to Colorado for Game 6, uh, that makes it a very interesting uh, issue. Because, again, you're playing at altitude. And, uh, you know, Colorado is uh, was a pretty good home performer. That could actually go to a Game 7, uh, even though no one would have expected that to be a 7-game series at, at the outset. So, uh, interesting... Uh, Interesting how that one played out. Uh, meanwhile, Winnipeg took care of business. They put down the Wild, which is the one uh, Western Conference series that went according to plan because no one, uh, unless they were a resident of Minnesota, actually thought the Wild had much of a chance in that series. Uh, Winnipeg, too big, too strong, just overpowered them. Uh, I mean, Minnesota is actually one of the t- uh, reasons why I said uh, the Rangers needed to kind of tank the second half of the season because – Minnesota reminds me quite a bit of the Rangers in the fact that they're way too undersized at their forward positions, and without the proper depth on the roster, it come playoff time, they get easily dominated by certain teams. And, you know, that was the case with Minnesota. They tried to match up against uh, Winnipeg, but they just did not have the horses to do so. And, you know, the goaltending play, uh, Hellebuck outplayed Dubnik. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, Dubnik was the veteran, but he got outplayed by the younger guy, and uh, that's all she wrote. Uh, uh, I think Minnesota probably goes through a major overhaul this offseason in changing uh, its personnel staff, but uh, they're in the same boat the Rangers are in, in that they got to figure out a way of getting bigger uh, on their forward lines and being able to... Uh, um, move uh, some pieces. Uh, although I think the Rangers are much further along than Minnesota is at this point in trying to do a bit of a teardown and rebuild. 
Now, come uh, over to the Eastern Conference side, matchups that we, at least I, most of myself and some of the experts had panned as uh, uh, ones that should have been kind of uh, in, in a more definitive uh, uh, frame of mind. You've got a matchup between Columbus and Washington tied up at 2-2. Uh, I mean, Washington was expected to win this series, but when they went down 0-2, people expected uh, the, uh, the Caps to fold. Uh, they uh, they actually, you know, uh, made made a, made a series out of this by uh, taking both games in Columbus, uh, thanks to like getting smart and putting back uh, Braden Hopi in that uh, he should have been starting in the first place, but uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so that uh, series is up for grabs. The series that people thought was going to be a back and forth series uh, is in a decide a size of a, uh, elimination game with the Bruins up three one and at home. Uh, you know, I I think this is a scenario where uh, they can put this series to uh, to bed uh, with a strong first period because uh, you know uh, even without Patrice Bergeron in the lineup for uh, game four, they still took care of business against the Leafs. Uh, that was a deflating loss for Toronto, in my opinion, because I expected a lot out of Toronto in that game four without Bergeron, and they just did not have uh, any anything that really uh, troubled the Bruins. Uh, I mean, Riley Nash came in, did his job, and that was it. I, I just did not think that Toronto competed enough in that game uh, to warrant any further... Uh, thinking that they they're gonna f- find a way of pulling out this series down three one. I, I think this one uh, probably wraps up uh, tonight in all likelihood. Uh, I'd, I'd be a bit surprised, Give, given how flat Toronto looked to me in Game Four uh, at home. I, I don't see them uh, uh, keeping this series alive. Uh, same goes for uh, Tampa Bay and New Jersey. Uh, that was a matchup where uh, you know the. Uh, the Devils have played hard, but it's it's one of those where you see their uh, definite limitations uh, coming to the forefront. So uh, I, I look at that uh, matchup as a case where uh, how long can the Devils extend this series for realistically? Uh, you know, Tampa should be able to put this one to bed if they're as strong a team as I think they are. Uh, I think this series wraps up, although... You know, stranger things have happened because I just saw the Flyers extend uh, their series against the Penguins to a uh, game six uh, when uh, the Penguins had all the momentum in the series and still managed to find a way of taking care of business uh, uh, against uh, the defending champs. So uh, the Flyers played hard. They outskated uh, the Pens. The Pens were disengaged, to say the least, uh, in that matchup. So. Uh, a little bit surprising that the Pens uh, did not close that one out. I, I think uh, some of these other teams may uh, take a cue from uh, what happened last night to the Pens and actually uh, come out with a strong first period to uh, kind of uh, put, a, put a bow on their series. So uh, that's uh, how it's shaping up uh, on the NHL side of things. I still think this uh, uh, comes down to a rematch of uh, Pittsburgh-Nashville, but... Uh, I am keeping a close eye on uh, Vegas because they played a near-flawless first-round series against the Kings. 
while San Jose had the road sweep against Anaheim, Anaheim made a number of boneheaded mistakes in terms of penalties, offensive zone penalties, just uh, aggression penalties, uh, losing uh, emotional control. Uh, whereas the Kings played a pretty solid game. It's just that Vegas just out executed them uh, in tight little quarters, and uh, Mark Andre Fleury was the difference. I mean, uh, he didn't give up any bunnies in the series. Uh, Jonathan Quick only gave up two uh, in the sweep. Uh, he only gave up two soft goals, but it was one goal game. So uh, I mean, again, I, I got to give the credit to uh, uh, Fleury, who he just uh, stood on his head and didn't give. Uh, LA mistakes uh, uh, to uh, get their way back into the series. So uh, I'm very curious to see how uh, Vegas plays against San Jose. Uh, another quality team, but I think the Kings were a better team than San Jose. So I, I think Vegas uh, should be able to uh, take care of business against them as well. Uh, if they play the same way, I think that that's a five-game series uh, just uh, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, unless uh, Vegas uh, – has a little bit of a dip in performance, uh, that should be a quick series. I, I think uh, they're really firing on all cylinders, so uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, very interesting to see how the, the first round has actually developed uh, thus far. All right, so uh, going to throw in a quick word. Uh, so uh, Premier League is limited today because of the FA Cup semifinals. Uh, Chelsea plays tomorrow against Southampton. Uh, as badly as Chelsea has played, Southampton may actually get relegated, which is stunningly absurd concerning how talented Southampton has a squad. Uh, you know, I think Chelsea should be able to see this one through and get to the final. Wouldn't shock me if Southampton pulled off an upset, though, because they uh, of how poorly Chelsea's run of form has been lately. Uh, but uh, Chelsea should win. And, you know, on the other side of things... Spurs should take care of business against Man U. I mean, they are demonstratively a better team than Manchester United. But my bugaboo with Spurs is that in the big moments, they find ways of losing games. I don't know if this year is going to be any different. I know they've had some big wins in the Premier League. Yes, uh, uh, they beat Manchester City, but it looks like that win against Manchester City was kind of like the tip of the iceberg of Manchester City's dip in form. So, again, I'm, I'm now more hesitant to uh, uh, circle that as a statement win. Uh, I think at this point, uh, this becomes the statement game for uh, Tottenham uh, season in that, you know, you're not going to uh, be contending for the title. Uh, you got... Bounced out of uh, Champions League in disappointing fashion. You know, why not take a stab at it and try to win a cup for once and win the FA Cup? I know it's not that big of a deal anymore uh, compared to what it uh, used to technically represent. But at least from the standpoint of you can show your fans that uh, it's a serious uh, uh, club that's in serious contention year after year for cup titles. And can actually follow through and deliver. And I think that's uh, uh, the bugaboo with uh, Spurs. is the fact that they don't have the follow through more often than not. And just find themselves uh, getting knocked out uh, in uh, the later stages of these tournaments. So uh, one of these uh, years, they've got to find a way through. 
And there's no year that's more wide open for them to take it than this year because, again, Manchester City's out of the competition. Chelsea's in disarray. Uh, Southampton has their own issues to deal with. And Man U is all over the place. Uh, I mean, Man U can be helter-skelter. They can have one horrible half of football. They can put together a decent half of football. But if you play a full 90 minutes against them, 9 out of 10 uh, Spurs should be able to win it unless the moment gets to them and they blow their chances. So, uh, curious to see what Spurs does uh, later today. But uh, I I would expect Spurs to actually move on to the final. But if they don't, I'm not shocked either. It's just one of those where it's like I point to Spurs fans all the time. If you want to compare yourself and say that you're better than uh, the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal, you've got to start winning titles. That's really what it comes down to. Even if it uh, uh, amounts to the FA Cup, you know, at least it's something to get you on the board, uh, showing that times truly have changed. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, baseballs, just to conclude, uh, in terms of the, uh, the matchup, I mean, it's still early in the season. People go nuts about certain players and fantasy and try to make trades. Uh, you know, in terms of the quality teams, you know, the Red Sox have played, uh, exceptionally well. Uh, it's a historic start for the team. They're well ahead of the 104 win pace I had for them, which was higher than most, uh, teams had uh, pegged for, uh, I mean most experts had pegged for them but uh, you know as with anything in baseball season it's going to be a, a spurts and uh, spurts and then stutters in, in terms of uh, losing streaks but uh, you know over the course of the season you're going to see something uh, one thing that didn't surprise me though was the Reds being as terrible as they were finally firing Brian Price after starting the season 3-15 and 15. Uh no one had any aspirations that the Reds were going to do anything this year. But, you know, they shouldn't be worse than the Marlins. I, although it's not that much <laughs> different in terms of the talent level of the two respective teams. But no one has uh, worse talent than uh, the Marlins currently uh, on uh, in the majors. But the Reds are on pace to actually fit, end up with a worse record than... Uh, Miami. So, again, for certain teams, the season's already over. It's just a matter of how embarrassing can the season get. Uh, the Reds, uh, you know, Riggleman's a decent manager. Uh, they should at least get a dead cat bounce in terms of uh, performance. So, we'll see how uh, the season goes. But in terms of DFS lineups today, one team I would absolutely pick on is uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Mainly because they keep throwing out uh, Chris Tillman as a major league starting pitcher. To illustrate my point about why Clevenger, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm talking about Clevenger on the Indians, uh, but I was really referring to the guy he's going up against, Tillman. I would start Clevenger against Tillman in DFS lineups, but, uh, you know, Tillman right now, his whip is approaching three. Uh, that's pretty much hit twice as high as it would be for an average uh, MLB pitcher. And his uh, strikeout ratio is less than 5%. Uh, You know, his bat isn't missing anyone. Uh, You know, I mean, his fastball isn't missing any bats. 
Uh, he's not locating pitches. He's getting lit up like a Christmas tree. Uh, his ERA is almost 12. So, I, I mean, and his ERA last year ended up just under 8. Uh, there's nothing in here that says that he's going to turn this around anytime soon. The only reason why the Orioles are keeping him in the lineup is the fact that they have no aspirations this year, and they're not going to eat his contract. So they're going to keep him out there and hope that he can eat some innings. Uh, But at at a certain point, they're probably going to have to uh, put him in the bullpen or do something with him. Uh, I I mean, this is just a painful look at. So if I'm... Uh, my recommendations in terms of uh, the daily fantasy lineups uh, today uh, for baseball is I'm stacking a bunch of uh, Indians hitters. Uh, you know, whether it's a combination of uh, Lindor, Kipnis, Brantley, or you're going with Ramirez, Brantley, and Encarnacion. Uh, you know, you can mix and match it as it goes along. But it's like who, uh, whoever you feel comfortable with and you can manage salary-wise, y- you got to stack it up against Tillman because, like I said, He's going to give up runs. He's going to give up hits. Uh, his fly ball ratio is over 60%. Uh, you know, th- this is just all the markings of another outing where he's going to give up six to seven runs. Uh, so you want to take advantage of that. If you want a blowout, kind of a win, uh, where guys are padding their stats, uh, Cleveland's a good bet today, uh, just given uh, the struggles Tillman has had. Uh and if you're looking for a starting pitcher, I would go with Clevenger. I, I think uh, he'll have the run support so that uh, what he, uh, the way he could strike out opponents, uh, uh, Clevenger should be uh, a good matchup. Just uh, because you know, unlike his opponent, Clevenger's strikeout ratio uh, is uh, tw- over 28 percent. He's leading the league. Uh, you know, this is a good matchup. Uh, because I think or, uh, the O's are strikeout prone, and they're going to be behind this game uh, early, uh, most likely. So I, I think uh, that you're uh, going to get some lift here by playing Clevenger and uh, letting him uh, just rack up some K's. So uh, those are my recommendations uh, for baseball. Uh, that pretty much wraps up all the time I have for today, but uh, uh, good luck to you uh, uh, with uh, any lineups you got playing, and uh Enjoy the games, everyone. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.